0: It's time for the OTH Daily Podcast. Seven, six, You'll never have the sacred stone. (laughs) Oh, this new crazy mother.
1: Welcome to the OTH Daily Podcast. Happy Tuesday. Hope you guys enjoyed your weekend and your Martin Luther King holiday. It is Tuesday, January 21st, 2020. We got a great episode for you today. Ed Stang comes on the show today. Tannin Smith and Cody Howdak got a big slate for you today. So without further ado, let's get started.
2: The rest of my life
3: gonna start.
1: today. Ed Stang is a writer for OTH. You can find him on Twitter at Ed Stang. Hey Ed, how you doing? I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you had a good holiday. It's Tuesday morning over here at the OTH Daily Podcast and we got a lot to talk about. How you doing?
3: Doing good. I hope you had a good weekend as well and uh, let's talk some football.
1: Absolutely and let's get right down to it. As you know, Championship Sunday was upon us and we had some great games one that really kind of just flew away from us that you and i were both did not expect but we'll get to that one afterwards let's start off with the afc championship game and this game to me didn't disappoint it was really what we both expected other than the fact that derrick henry really was shut down we thought that that was the biggest thing that kansas city needed to do was shut down Derrick Henry, and they did just that. Only 19 carries, 69 yards, and one touchdown. He averaged less than four yards a carry. Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. First time since 1969, the Lamar Hunt Trophy is back in Kansas City. They win 35-24. What would you like about this game to start off our championship Sunday?
3: I mean, uh, definitely with what we talked about in the preview on Friday morning, it was definitely going to be what the Chiefs did on defense uh, to be able to shut down that running attack. Um, the Titans came out really strong in the first quarter. Uh, they were controlling uh, the ball. Tannehill Hill was making some really big throws, a lot of crossing patterns on play action. So they were really loosening up um, the Chiefs' uh, defensive backfield, and then that opened up a little bit of running room for Henry. But really, as that game just wore on um, and – the Chiefs offense kind of woke up there in the second quarter. They just took control of the game, but they were able to keep Henry at bay and that was really the number one key of this whole game was could they stop him and they did.
1: Now, Ryan Tannehill threw for 209 yards, two touchdowns, but obviously that def- that I'm sorry, that Tennessee offense just wasn't enough against Kansas City's offense who was absolutely incredible. Patrick Mahomes, three touchdown passes, almost 300 yards. He throws touchdown passes to Tyreek Hill. Two of them, won the Sammy Watkins. Very, you know, very distributed uh, across the board, receiving-wise. Out uh, of Mahomes, 23, uh, you know, completions. The highest on the team was only seven receptions by Watkins. It went um, throughout. There was six different receivers for the Chiefs that had um, at least a touch and eight that had targets. Very impressive by the offense of the Kansas City Chiefs. And they're going to have a really good time against the San Francisco 49ers, who we're going to talk about in a minute. And that defense is a lot tougher than Tennessee's. Now, I'll give Mike Vrabel a lot of credit. He definitely did a lot. But let's shift it back real quick to Tennessee's offense, and let's talk about Ryan Tannehill. Is he going to be a quarterback that's going to be the ten- on the Tennessee Titans next year? He had a great way to resurrect his career. But is it going to be enough to give him that starting job in Tennessee next season?
3: I mean, I think Tannehill played a very good game in that AFC Championship game. I mean, he was making the throws uh, when it counted. Um, It just came down to they couldn't make enough plays and get the ball in the end zone. And we talked about this before, and this is always the biggest thing because they played a clean game. There really wasn't any turnovers on the Titans side. Uh, There was that one almost interception they had, but um, it got bounced off the ground. So it got reversed. So that was a good part there, but they were kicking field goals. And as we've said before, field goals are not going to win you AFC championship games or playoff games in general. But I think overall he threw the ball. Well, he was making the right reads. He was keeping them in the game. But the biggest thing just was the Chiefs stopped that running attack. So once kind of everything shifted up there in the second quarter and the Chiefs started getting their groove going, the, the Tennessee offense just couldn't keep up because they were kicking field goals and not scoring touchdowns.
1: Tennessee is going to have a lot of things to worry about this offseason. Ryan Tannehill obviously is one of them. Who knows what's going to happen with his contract? I believe he's going to get paid one way or the other, whether it's with the Titans or with another team. And another player that is a free agent is King Henry himself, Derrick Henry. And he has been absolutely amazing for this offense. I can't see them, you know, definitely going away from him. I think he's going to get a contract. It'll be interesting to see how much he gets paid because there's always that conversation about how much running backs should get paid. But I I don't see him moving anywhere. I think Derrick Henry is going to be a Titan for a very long time. It's going to be interesting, though. This offseason is going to be very interesting. One one more interesting than, you know, the last couple offseasons, that's for sure. Looking at the statistics for the Kansas City Chiefs, as I said, Patrick Mahomes, three touchdown passes. He actually tied Hall of Famer Kurt Warner for the most passes, most passing touchdowns in a player's first four playoff games at 11. Very, very impressive. And, you know, Andy Reid, everybody's all talking about how excited it is. That Andy Reid's going to get an opportunity to get in their playoff appearance. I'm sorry, a Super Bowl appearance, which I'm super excited for as well. Not only is he going to the Super Bowl again, this is by beating the Tennessee Titans. Him and Bill Belichick are the only two play, or only two coaches in NFL history to beat every team twice. Pretty cool staff for right you there on Tuesday morning. But let's switch over to the NFC Championship game. And, you know, Ed, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought this game was going to be a lot more impressive than it was. But, you know, just like people coming, you know, the people that didn't have to work on Monday morning, a lot of college kids that have to go to school, they gave their greatest Green Bay Packers impression. They just didn't show up. And, you know, the 49ers just really did the job. And that defense was incredible. And the Packers just couldn't stop the run game. That was probably the number one thing. Your thoughts on this NFC Championship game as we talk about the San Francisco 49ers making their way back to Super Bowl.
3: Yeah, I mean, the Niners were super impressive in this game, and they really flexed their muscle. Um, I was definitely super surprised at how flat the Packers came out and how uninspired they looked. But the biggest thing was, besides getting shut out in the first half, and that just can't happen, the Green Bay defense had no answers for Raheem Mozart. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's been cut by seven teams. Everybody pretty much today knows the story of him. I mean, uh, back in 2015, he was on the Browns, and all they used him as was basically a punt and a kick returner. Um, so the guy had obviously a career day and really showed how that he can run the ball and what perseverance really can do for you in this league. And we've seen it time and time again. We've seen undrafted free agents and seventh round draft picks become absolute studs and stars in this league because they just never quit. And Mozart, I mean, they just had no answer for him. Petton couldn't come up with anything. The defensive line couldn't get any penetration and they were just blowing holes in that front seven. And when you run for over 220 yards of the 285 yards, I think that, uh, San Francisco had on the total day. I mean, how do you beat that?
1: Looking at the statistic line for the Niners, it's like they kind of pulled something out of the Titans book for the last few weeks in the playoffs. Obviously the Titans couldn't make it happen, but the Niners did Mostert with 29 carries for 220 yards, four touchdowns and he averaged uh, 7.6 yards per carry, almost eight yards per carry. Very impressive. And if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, he kind of had a Ryan Tannehill day in the divisional round of the playoffs, Jimmy Garoppolo went six for eight, 77 yards, but they didn't need him to throw. And why throw if you can continue to shorten this game and just not give Green Bay any more chances and run the football as successful as they did uh, against this Packer defense. It's definitely going to, you know, cause a lot of problems if they can't stop the run. That's, you know, number one problem there. But if you look at the Green Bay offense here, Aaron Rodgers, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 31 for 39, 326. Not a terrible game, but a lot of people are calling for his head and saying that maybe it's time for him to hang it up. You think that's the case?
3: Um, I definitely don't think that's the case. Um, I think that first that first half just killed him. I mean, you have an interception early, then you have that fumbled snap that he basically didn't even go after. So you really have to kind of question a little bit where his head was in this game, but really in the grand scheme of things, um, Green Bay is probably a couple pieces away. I think they're not far if they could have another really good draft um, this year and they can add possibly some free agents because now they have a front office that's willing to spend money. And they proved that this year for the first time, practically in ages um, they're not, they weren't being frugal for once. So I think with a couple more pieces added in there and another weapon uh, for Rodgers to have at least a wide receiver number two um, could really help them. And I think they need to get a little bit more athletic at the uh, tight end position just to give them some more vertical in the middle help. But uh, Green Bay is going to be in the mix next year. If they can add these couple pieces, who knows, they can get over the hump.
1: Aaron Rodgers has had a... I guess you could say unspoken rivalry with the San Francisco 49ers ever since he was passed up in the draft in 2005. Obviously we all know that the San Francisco 49ers chose Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers is now 0 and three, Oh, and 3 in his career against the Niners in the playoffs. Looks like the Niners still have their number. So that's uh that's something to keep in mind. Rodgers just can't win that game, that big game against the 49ers. When you talk about the receiver help, I definitely agree. Devontae Adams had a great game. Once again, 100-plus yards receiving. That's four career playoff games that he's had over 100 yards. That's the most by any Green Bay player since 1950. So he's a great wide receiver, and he could obviously be your number one for years to come, but he needs more help. And if Rodgers is going to be your quarterback next year, which I assume that that's going to be the case, it would be great to have someone else there. They're going to have, in the mid-20s, about 25, 26 for their – actually, they'll be about 28 or 29, right? for the uh, NFL draft, and uh, they need to draft a receiver. This is a very deep wide receiver draft, and they need to go after that. I, I think that 100%. So as we look to this game, San Francisco, Kansas City, now we have two weeks to talk about it. We're going to be talking about it for the next two weeks, Ed. But this game's going to be amazing. We have one amazing defense in San Francisco and the most electrifying offense in Kansas City. Arguably, probably the best offense versus the best defense. This is a Super Bowl that we deserve. This is a Super Bowl that's not going to disappoint. Your thoughts right off the bat, how this game is going to go.
3: First thought, I think, is Kansas City is going to have to control the line of scrimmage with the the four uh, all-stars that San Francisco has. And that's been the biggest thing is if you stop the front four, then it gives you a shot. But the one thing that the Chiefs have been able really to do, and I don't think a lot has been said about it really that much, is look at what Mahomes has done with his feet, um, especially the last two games. He's getting he's getting himself out of the pocket when uh, pressure's coming up the middle or even around the back, and he's making plays. I mean, he was getting chunk yards. In um, that game on Sunday, he's getting 11, 12 yards a scramble, and they couldn't stop him. You almost had, you almost think that they needed to start throwing a spy on him because he was just getting first down after first down. So if, if the uh, Niners line can keep him in the pocket and contained, I think that will help with the unscripted style plays that he comes up with. Because especially when he goes unscripted, he wants to hit long. And his receivers know this. So Tyreek will go deep. Watkins will go deep. And when they had that one uh, play that Watkins scored his touchdown on and basically busted up a coverage, the minute he had that touchdown, I was like, game over. Because that they, the secondary just couldn't stop all those threats. And Tyreek had himself a game. But San Francisco needs to keep Mahomes in the pocket and not let him scramble. Speaking of those receivers for Kansas City, you brought up a few, but we
1: all know how good the front four of San Francisco is. You know, all first-round draft picks led by the rookie Bosa, who is absolutely incredible, already has three sacks this postseason. But if you look at the secondary of San Francisco, if you had to say any kind of weakness – I would say that would be it, but they have a great cornerback in Richard Sherman, but is Richard Sherman enough for all of these fast electrifying receivers as Tyree kill, Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, Travis Kelsey, Damian Williams out of the backfield. It's absolutely incredible. It looks like it feels like every time you look, there's a new chiefs receiver catching the ball from Patrick Mahomes. And then these fast receivers you have to worry about Mahomes coming out of the backfield, just like you stated earlier. Is the secondary going to be able to handle Kansas City's receivers?
3: I mean, I think it's going to ultimately come down to how that front four gets pressure on Mahomes. Um, obviously, the the front four and the back four always work hand-in-hand. Hand. If your cornerbacks uh, and safeties can cover just long enough to let that defensive line get home, then you're good. But if um, they start getting sloppy and Sherman got beat by De- got beat deep by Devontae Adams because that was a hell of a route he did, and that was a hell of a throw that Rodgers had on that play. So Richard Sherman, I mean, is not getting any younger. And with the speed that's on this team, um, I think they're going to have to be careful. You're not going to see t- – you're going to see them mix their coverages – but I think you might see a little bit more zone um, than man-to-man just because th- those cornerbacks are not going to be able to keep up with the speed of the Chiefs. They just won't. One last injury to worry about that
1: came up on Sunday was running back Tevin Coleman for the San Francisco 49ers. It appears that he dislocated his shoulder. However, Coach Shanahan did say that he he should be good to go in two weeks, less than two weeks now, for Super Bowl Sunday. It's going to be a great game. I'm not going to ask your prediction yet. We got to tease this way, way more until Super Bowl Sunday. We got a lot to talk about. We got the Pro Bowl coming up this week as well. We can get into that on Friday morning. But let's talk about real quick before I let you go. I'd love to talk about your Cleveland Browns. Anything happened yet about your coaching change? Or have you found a general manager yet? Anything new in Cleveland?
3: So a couple little things gone on over the last couple of days. They did do a couple GM, um Interviews They had did Andrew Barry from the Eagles, um, and then there's been a lot of rumors on if they have been able to talk to um, Patton from the Vikings, and word is they did have a meeting on Saturday. Not a lot of word got out about it, but um, the reaction coming from it, he did very well. Um, there is a second interview that seems to be uh, set up for sometime mid-late week. Um, So that part's good. They're kind of finalizing who this GM is going to be paired with Stefanski. And then um, some hiring news that came out on Monday was Bill Callahan is going to be the offensive line coach, Um, former uh, head coach in the league, most recently was with the Redskins. And he has that zone scheme style, so he'll be able to really implement and really bust the butt of the offensive lineman of the Browns to understand this system. And then there's um, a lot of kind of rumors going on on who the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator are going to be, and even the wide receiver coach. But unfortunately, they can't really do much about that because all those people are on the 49ers staff currently, so they can't uh, really hire anybody officially um, other than kind of the word and the rumor that's out there because the Browns did let go of Steve Wilkes. Um, they did not retain him, and they just got word on Monday that they've retained uh, running backs coach Thutton Mitchell and also special teams coach Mike Preefer.
1: Well, hopefully we get some more solid information on that coming through the week, and maybe we can get an update from you. On Friday, always like to hear from your Browns. That's exactly what OTH is here for. It's made by the fans
3: for the fans. So Ed,
1: as always, thanks for stopping by, and I'll see you at the end
3: of the week. Thanks for having me, and I'll see you for our Friday podcast.
2: And now it's time for your weekly. Injury Report. I'm Nick. And today is a special National Championship Edition a week after the game. And first of all, we have Joe Burrow and some of the LSU players who have lost a lung after smoking cigars after the game. It was a sad day in Tiger Nation as these players were seen having black lungs after smoking cigars post-game. Second on our injury report is the police officer's rear end, That is now bruised and red after Odell Beckham spanked him so hard. He spanked him so hard it came with the police sending out an arrest warrant for Odell Beckham. Sad day for the very quiet and tame OBJ. And lastly on our list, we have breaking news as Trevor Lawrence has been discovered to have hair extensions. That will do it for today's injury report. I'm Nick and wait until next week as we bring you more breaking news.
0: Ja Morant is probably the most trendy NBA player at the moment. However, the Memphis Grizzlies have another rookie that should be getting more attention, and that's Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark is a classic tweener, a power forward who is just a little too small to be a center, but not skilled enough to be a Draymond green light. Despite this, he is a tremendous scorer inside of two-point range. As of January 19th, he's shooting 66.5% on two-point shots, which is 7th. Out of 140 players who've played at least 500 minutes and shot at least 100 two-pointers. After watching every one of his two-point attempts this year, I found a couple of patterns. First, he often uses a floater, which he extends to about 15 feet or so. He takes this shot both in transition and in the half court, and he's quick enough and explosive enough that he creates separation with it. Defenders have a difficult time reacting quickly enough, and if they do react, Clark can jump high enough that they can't adequately defend it. The issue with this floater is that he's a little too trigger-happy with it. When he decides to shoot it, he'll miss open teammates, and he won't attempt any sort of counter move, like a couple of pivots or even a pump fake. This is, unfortunately, the trade-off of having such a quick and disarming shot. Also, he sometimes fires the shot from far, far away, like... (laughs) really, really far away, you can find multiple instances of him taking a contested floater while his back foot is literally, literally on the free throw line. In transition and cutting in the half court, he sometimes explodes for huge slams. Honestly, if you just look at his dunks, you might think that this guy will become the next Sean Kemp. Sadly, these sorts of jams happen a lot less frequently, but to counter that, he showcases a pretty solid and soft touch off the glass. He finishes these layups and shots around the rim over, through, and around defenders. It's really pretty impressive. Clark does have a bit too much of a belief in his own explosive ability. Like his floaters, he sometimes takes off from near the free throw line, even if a defender is literally standing in his way. This causes some wildly reckless shot attempts. All in all, Clark is already a polished finisher near the basket. If he can clean up some of his more wild attempts, it wouldn't surprise me to see him as a perennial leader in two-point percentage. I recently posted a YouTube video about Brandon Clark on the Overtime Heroics NBA YouTube channel, so if you'd like a more in-depth film analysis, go ahead and check that out.
1: Tannin Smith is a basketball writer for OTH. You can find him on Twitter at Tannin Smith. Hey Tannin, how you doing? And welcome to the OTH Daily Podcast.
4: I'm doing good. Thanks for having me again.
1: Hey, let's bring up last night's Lakers game. That was something that I know a lot of people were really interested in that that basketball game. Thought it was going to be a lot closer, Tannin, than it was, but it was a blowout. In Boston. The Lakers too well. 139-107 the final Lakers just did not look good in this game whatsoever. Did not see much from LeBron James. Only 29 minutes from the guy, 15 points. And he had a negative 21 plus minus. Wasn't very impressed by LeBron. He actually had got, you know, dunked on. He got polsterized by Jalen Brown. It was all over Twitter. I'd love to hear your take on this game as we look at last night's Boston LA basketball
4: matchup yeah you know this game was never really in question and you're right when whenever the Lakers uh come into a game and LeBron James and Anthony Davis don't show up they're 99% of the time going to lose uh that's the majority of their scoring and the majority of their production is coming from their two superstars so you know Anthony Davis had nine points it's very rare that he doesn't get into double digits and then like you said LeBron only 15 he was five or five for 12 from the field LeBron's usually a lot more Um, consistent and a lot more efficient from the field so just a bad a bad game all around he did end up with 13 assists so I mean he was still doing his thing from there but yeah I mean Kuzma didn't do much off the bench Uh, you know when Rondo is up there as your third leading scorer you 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 probably should reevaluate your game plan and it just it never really seemed in question.
1: Rondo making his you know, his his place back in Boston, well known for being a Boston Celtic during that run with the original big three back in uh, about a decade ago, making his way back to Boston for this game. And he, he played good. As you said, he was 13 points, but the third score on the team, obviously, 13 is not enough to be third. Lakers did not look good scoring wise. Only forty four percent from the field and twenty seven percent from three point line. That was really the biggest thing for me was the three point seven for twenty six. That was the real big game changer for me uh, in this one because Boston was almost lights out. Uh, it was a completely different ball game for them and the three point line. They were almost fifty percent. They shot forty seven from three, and that's really what changed the, the ball game there. Kemba Walker finally gets a win against LeBron James. He was zero for twenty eight before this ball game now he's one in 28 he's on a team where he can actually you know do good do good things he's not on charlotte hornets anymore he uh he did quite well in his 29 minutes 20 points and uh, he looked good but what was your favorite thing taken from this game
4: i just love to see the celtics uh starting five they got production out of everyone in their starting five you know daniel theis being their starting big man he, he didn't do too much, but they're big four of Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Kimba Walker, and Jalen Brown. They all produced very well. Uh, Tatum with 27 points. It looked really good. He, I mean, he was five for eight from three. It's good to see him launching it. Uh, I just, I think that, you know, the the Celtics have some of the best young talent in the league, and um, it's good to see them utilizing that.
1: Even after this loss, the Lakers still hold a four point lead in the Western conference over the Denver Nuggets and the Clippers. They are 34 and nine and 18 and four now on the road for the Boston Celtics. They still sit in the fourth place spot in the East. This East is a lot tougher than a lot of people thought was going to be this season. They're 28 and 14, nine and a half games back from the impressive Milwaukee Bucks, but only about a game and a half back from second place, Miami Heat. They look pretty good at home, 17 and five for this Boston Celtics. How do you like this team moving ahead? Uh, after winning against LA, do you think that they can make a bigger splash in this Eastern Conference? And should we pay attention to these guys when we get closer and closer to the playoffs?
4: Uh, I absolutely think that we should. The Celtics are a very deep and talented team. When you have guys like Enos Cantor and Marcus Smart and uh, Simeon Gellier, uh, Grant Williams, guys like that coming off the bench who can, who can, Produce at a somewhat decent level, especially Cantor and Smart being their first two guys off the bench, and then the star power they have in their starting lineup. I think they're a very underrated play or a very underrated team in the East. Um, you know, obviously you've got the Bucks and you've got the Sixers, but I think the Celtics are a team that are are going to sneak up on people come playoff time. And I, I really think that if their young talent can can get things together, this is a this is a team that's going to be really scary uh, come come the playoffs.
1: Hopefully this is a turnaround for the Boston Celtics as they were four and six in their last 10 games for the Lakers. They are now eight and two in their last 10. I don't think this is something to get too worried about, although they did lose by a lot and they did not get too much out of their stars, but how well should they be paying attention to this game or should they just be ready for the next one? That's that's ahead of them.
4: I think this is um, a big indication towards the Lakers coaching staff and front office that they need to get a little bit more Help for Anthony Davis and LeBron James because they're not always going to be putting up 30 plus points per game. And when your only other decent player at this point is Kuzma, uh, you know, everybody else, you know, Danny Green is decent. Um, Avery Bradley is okay, but there's nobody. You, you look at the rest of their roster outside of AD and LeBron James, and it's just not impressive at all. I think that before the trade deadline, they really need to look to find some more, uh, find some more talent and uh, maybe get a little bit more experience on the team as well. I think that um, a guy like Jamal Crawford should be someone that they should target if they can. Um, but I, I like this Lakers team, especially, I mean, they have two of the top two top five players on their team. I think that they'll be okay. I mean, they're, they haven't even lost 10 games yet this year. So uh just make a couple moves before before the trade deadline and try to get your team put together um, completely before the playoffs.
1: Starting Wednesday, the Lakers will continue their East Coast trip. They will face the New York Knicks and then back-to-back on Thursday, the Brooklyn Nets. Looks like it could be a possible uh, way to get back in those winning ways. Knicks have been completely horrible this season. But Tannen, I'd like to switch over to a game tonight, and it's not in the professional spectrum, but it's a really good game in college basketball. And that is, you know, two top 15 teams taking it off on CBS Sports Network tonight at 7 o'clock Eastern tip off. And that is Butler versus Villanova. Number 13, Butler Bulldogs. They are trying to restore its former momentum after two Big East defeats and the fall from the top five of the national rankings. They're down to 13. They're going to face number nine, Villanova, who's 14 and three. They're four and one in the conference. They look pretty good. Your thoughts on this game moving forward for tonight's tip off?
4: Uh, Butler is a team that I don't know too much about. Um, you know, Kamar Baldwin putting up 15 points per game for them. He's their leading scorer. You look at the rest of this roster, and, and there's really no, not very much production anywhere else. Uh, Kamar Baldwin puts up 15. Their second leading scorer, Sean McDermott, puts up 11. Um, but their score. Their scoring is spread out amongst around ten to eleven players, so I think that you know they're definitely a deep team um they're well coached they shoot at a they shoot the ball pretty well uh so you know I think butler is a definitely a a decent team um you know statistically and then obviously we know we know all about villanova they have they have multiple players scoring in the top ten um they have a former top ten Recruit freshmen sitting on the bench Only averaging 1.6 points per game In Brian Antoine So, you know, they still got guys Who could come around And, and really um, burst onto the scene At some point in the season I mean, Brian Antoine was was sought after By, you know, Duke, Kentucky He's one, He was one of the most sought after recruits In the entire country Ended up going to Villanova And is only is aver- he's averaging under two points this year So, um, you know, Villanova's a great team Sadiq Bey and Jer- Jeremiah Robinson Earl Are both extremely good players That's who they rely on for the most part Um, Colin Gillespie as well, great playmaker and scorer. So I I think Villanova wins this one. I think they're a much better team, um, but it could be a better game than I I think it will be.
1: Villanova on a four game winning streak, but both these teams in the last week have battled a tough DePaul team. Butler lost obviously 79-66 in their last matchup, and Villanova just squeaks by, beats DePaul in overtime uh, last week, a week ago from today. So Hopefully Butler can take a win here. They need it more than Villanova, I think. They haven't won a game in 11 days now. You know, last win against Providence, 70 to 58. But I'm with you. I think Villanova wins this game. I think that they just are, you know, they're about equal at their scoring between Baldwin and Bay for their leading score. But rebound wise and defensively, I think Villanova takes the cake here. And um, I think if they continue, they stay out of foul trouble. If they can find a way to move the ball and do their thing on the boards they're going to win this game. I, I take Villanova in this one too, but I think it's going to be a good game. I think it'll be uh, a tight game throughout.
4: Yeah, I am. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's a, it's a good matchup, good top 15 matchup between um, two teams that, you know, they're not really nationally recognized, at least not this season. Uh, you know, Villanova's so well coached, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, I think these are both teams that could, could make deep runs in March
1: fantastic hey tana thanks for coming on the OTH daily podcast it was great to have you on the talk la lakers and boston celtics from last night blowout in boston and looking forward to n- tonight's tip off between number nine villanova and number 13 butler as again that tip off will be at 7 p.m thanks tana and i'll see you again
4: no problem thank you
1: will do it for this episode at the oth daily podcast january 21st 2020 hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll be back here tomorrow bright and early matt zader will be on the show as we talk hockey as we do every wednesday and everything else you need to know to get you ready for your work day as we get to wednesday we're almost already at the weekend it's going to be a short week so without further ado i hope you guys have a great rest of your day and i'll see you back here tomorrow take care now
0: Thanks for listening. Tune in weekdays right here at the OTH Daily Podcast.